Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Don't Look Up and The Tragedy of Macbeth, and we're joined by The Rewind's resident A24 fanboy, Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Oh, you know, you got me pegged, son. You got me pegged. Yes, hey, it's, ac- it's accurate this year. It's accurate this you year. You know man. what? Admittedly, this year it it has. I mean, look, I have no problem with A twenty four read. They may, they put out good stuff. I'll cop to that. What my issue is is just the people who are just like A twenty four fanboys. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's it's just as annoying to me as like the Marvel stand. Oh, so I should I, mean. I should return that uh, A twenty four T shirt I was going to get oh, you for your birthday. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'll take it. Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll wear that. But, like, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no. So, Tragedy Macbeth is like a A twenty four Apple co production. We're going to talk about that second though. Uh, we're going to start with Don't Look Up, which was the big Christmas release from Netflix from uh, writer director Adam McKay. Stars just a murderous row of actors that. Wanted to be in this movie for some reason. Though I, I actually know why Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to be in it. Can't really speak to everyone else, but it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, as two different scientists or astronomers at Michigan State, who, uh, while just kind of looking into the uh, looking into the telescope, they realize, oh wait, there's a big meteor coming for Earth that is going to kill us all. We need to get the word out about it, and that kind of sets them upon a bit of a, a media tour uh, where they got to first talk through, go through the, some governmental tape, red tape where they talk to president named Jean, Janie Orlean played by Meryl Streep and her son, whose name is Jason played by Jonah Hill who's the chief of staff. They don't seem to take it that seriously. They go on uh, TV to talk to a couple of different uh, talk show hosts played by Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett who don't take it seriously. And it's about them uh, screaming into the void. And it has been well publicized that this is uh, Adam McKay's passion project to talk about uh, how to just kind of like put put on the screen how uh, we're reacting to climate change, which is a very real threat. And he wants us to really know that it's a very real threat that people are not caring about. Daniel, I guess first I'll start. I mean, I, I feel like I'd seen you be kind of cynical about Adam McKay before, but I don't really know. Can't really remember in what context that was. Maybe just Vice. I don't know a ton of people that love that movie. I don't really know how you feel about The Big Short because I fall into a camp of people that that I know a lot of people do that actually really like The Big Short, but haven't really been so high on these last couple of movies. So are you like total? were you like totally out on Adam McKay, like already going into this movie and you were just kind of seeing it to do your homework so you could be informed? Or did you come into this movie as someone who I'm sure like actually, you know, believes the right things to believe when it comes to climate change like were you open to like hoping that he would uh he would surprise you or were you already pretty cynical before you went into this and what did you ultimately think all right well as for adam mckay i like the big short i saw it you know back when it came out and i was like you know this is a this is a fun sort of way to you know make something that is very convoluted uh interesting and and dynamic and you know appealing to like a general audience you know i know that he's a guy who's you know mostly before then done like you know very broad sort of comedies with uh with uh what's his name will ferrell um will ferrell i had seen like a little bit of the other guys and admittedly i i found it so unfunny that i had my friend like change the channel Mm. um but but the big short was all right and then i saw vice and i was like this is dog shit i i hated 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 vice um i walked out mad as a motherfucker i I, my friend to this day reminds me about the night that i saw vice and messaged him and called him about how it was the worst movie to ever exist now i never said that um i said i believe that it was one of the worst movies of that year um which it which it was um very bad movie so going into this I was very, very, very reticent, not necessarily because, you know, I mean, not necessarily, I believe in climate change. Just let me, let me let let the record state, I'm, I I believe in climate change. Um, I agree with the, the message of this message movie. What I don't like, what I didn't like when I saw Vice and what I anticipated here was just his approach to it being the most obvious, most broad uh, least interesting, least insightful take on the material that he could possibly think of. That's what I was worried about going into Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got. I <laughs> hate this movie. I hate this movie. I hate, I hate, I hate this movie. Um, I sat in the theater. I actually got to see this in a theater and it was two hours of my life. Uh, it was. It, it might've been two of the worst hours of, of 2021 um that i had so well i appreciate you uh devoting more time to and talking about it for us uh though i guess you you, you, you probably get you you probably get more enjoyment out of uh, talking shit about it than you did actually watching it 
I, I I would agree with you. I, I I have some level of respect for him, like wanting to put so much of his capital into like you know doing something that in theory has like a very good message. But I just one I I feel a little bad for him in that I think it came out like two years too late and maybe even more than that. But I feel like if it comes out two years ago, it would feel less on the nose because we wouldn't have had the pandemic. And there's a lot of parallels there that like, because I think he had this movie in his head for a very long time. Uh, and so if it comes out two years ago, if I mean, like, look, it feels less on the nose than it are, than it does. And that I, I wouldn't be docking in as many points for that, but I still don't think it would have really been funny. Like, because like, that, that's, that's like the ultimate sin. I feel like I can forgive a lot of stuff if like he makes me laugh more. And I'm and like, I don't understand. Like I've talked to a lot of people that thought this movie was hilarious. And I, and you know, so maybe some of the people that align more with me on it, like they'll be like, okay, well, the one thing where like Jennifer Lawrence keeps going back to complain about why she got charged for those snacks. That's funny. I'm like, fine. I guess that's kind of, that's kind of like get, got a chuckle out of me, but like that doesn't really redeem much about this movie. And I really thought almost nothing. I, I, I just, I didn't laugh. And I, it's like, Oh, look, man, I'll forgive some of your sloppy political commentary. If I can at least like get some chuckles out of it. And I didn't. So I feel like that's almost a bigger sin than some of the, uh, some of his like on the nose political messaging, which we can get into, but it's like, look, man, like there will be like, so, you can at least have like some redeeming qualities in the way you like set up some other, uh, scenes and get some laughs out of it, but instead it's just like you're just marching character after character in here trying to like you know uh, be like oh look this guy is like the this guy's like all those billionaires you know or like these people are like all those like really cynical news shows you know and like do you get a laugh out of that that's like what the media is doing it's like can you just like slow down for a second and stop trying to like draw these parallels and maybe write, write a funny joke or two and he didn't really seem to have much interest in doing that even though it like he tried to capture the tone of the comedy it's like you got to have the laughs too. Mm, exactly. I was actually I've been re going through uh, the latest the, the new memoir from from Mel Brooks mm. and constantly while reading this book, he keeps saying, like, you got to put the comedy first. And honestly, as I'm reading it, I was thinking about Adam McKay thinking, yeah, he, he lost the plot. He lost the plot. Now, to be fair, this is a satire, which I guess has somewhat different mm, rules than something more broad, something like, uh, you know, his previous collabs with, with Will Ferrell or like, you know, this kind of stuff Mel Brooks would do. The problem here is that the satire itself is, is so shallow. There's nothing to, there's nothing deeper. So I, I, the way I put it to people when I talk about this movie is imagine that concept. Imagine just the basic conceit. A meteor is heading towards earth and the, the collective governments and people of the world treat it with the same sort of indifference that we treat climate change, right? You as a, as a thinking human being, as a highly evolved mammal, have certain things, like certain impressions in your mind when you hear that conceit, like, like fleeting images, fleeting like little, oh, you could do this, you could make a reference to that, you could portray this. And you would hope that someone who's been like a career filmmaker, who's, you know, renowned for his comedy writing, you know, whether he deserves it or not is another thing. But, you know, as somebody who's been doing this thing for a while, you kind of expect something more interesting than like your personal, like first ideas when you hear that premise. The problem here is that it doesn't go any deeper than that. Um, this, you know, the, the point of this movie is, we don't care about climate change. The government doesn't care about climate change. They're slow to respond to stuff. And that's it. That's it. It just kind of displays the sort of indifference that we have toward climate change and just switches out the word climate for comet. Well, and it doesn't go any deeper than that. Um, I, I don't know what I, you know, what, I, what exactly he could have done with the material. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, do you show, I mean, how do you in an entertaining way like maybe go to show like why some of these people don't care uh yeah you know, mm, and, that's it, see that's a good question that's a good question Jernavoy. well so you may at some point like i guess people have already made climate change documentaries so he feels he needs to do something different and but like how do you how do you really go and show like the corporate interests that these politicians are having to answer to and why why they might be a little more reticent to actually take some measures uh to do that like is there a way to make that entertaining i don't know that's not my job that's adam mckay's job uh so there's that but there's also like so, so there's and, but i think that's that's the other more interesting thing it could have done other than just like putting this on display and just like being like, yeah, see, the media doesn't care about the important stuff. They're going to spend 45 minutes of their one hour talking about this celebrity breakup and not the thing. It's like, yeah, I, I get I get it, Adam. Okay, I get it. This scene went on for so long. 
Uh, it went on for so long, and then they keep going back to it. Like, yeah. they, they, not only do they do they they hammer in this one idea, and you know they hammer it at it, you know, a, from a different bunch of different perspectives. You have you know this kind of president Trumpish figure uh, played by by Meryl Streep. Um, you have the the media like kind of you know at first latching on to this story, and then when they realize that it's not going anywhere, they abandon it. And uh, you know y- you have the the business interest. You know you have a what's his name Mark Rylance playing like a sort of uh, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg type. Elon Musk and Elon Musk. Elon Musk. There you go. But it's like, but it's it's, there's just nothing to it though. Yeah, exactly. It's the most generalized sort of like tech billionaire sort of uh, caricature that you've ever seen. And you know he's interested in what this could possibly make him, and that's it. Like that's that's his entire character. Um, It's it's not at all insightful. It's not at all complex or nuanced. Um, it doesn't make you think. This is not a movie that makes you think, which is, I think, kind of the uh, like the biggest issue is that it's a satire that's kind of aimed at people who already agree with the material. Um, I've heard some people argue that, well, the reason why this is so kind of simple is that it's not for the people who agree with this. It's for the people like who are like, you know, kind of lean in a different way, who don't like really haven't looked at all the facts and such. And to that, I say kind of bullshit because um, it's not a movie that I don't think makes any attempt to kind of appeal to that sensibility. It it does have a sort of, I don't know, superior tone. I have a conservative friend that watched it and liked it. I'm like, and I don't, I'm like, I didn't want to really feel, I didn't feel like getting into a political conversation with them. I was like, did Mm. you get what it was trying to do, man? Uh, (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, I I don't, I guess, I guess, I guess a shows that I guess the movie can work if you don't agree with it, but B also shows that the movie doesn't work because it doesn't seem like it made that much of an impression on him. The central message. Yeah. So again, it just felt like it kept hammering home, like the really obvious point over and over again about us not caring, us not caring. And then, didn't really feel the need to go any further than that. But the other thing is that, you know, even if it had come out two years ago, I feel like it almost misses the mark a little bit by doing this comment thing. And that, uh, it, it, well, it, it's it's a twofold thing. Let me back up for a second because first, you know how people kind of said SNL kind of lost it a little bit. I and like I'm not as much of an SNL hater as a lot of people are. I legitimately enjoy their non-political things the last few years, but it lost the thread politically the last couple of years. Uh, one just because like it relied too much on the Trump stuff, but two like that stuff just got really hard to do because things got so wacky and crazy. That, like how could you spoof it? How could you do satire mm-hmm. of it? So let's just go back to two years ago though, and. Uh, let's say it comes out then before the pandemic. I still think it's kind of like not the best analog to do this comet thing because the thing is, all these people that don't really give a shit about climate change, it's because they it's, it's because they don't have to worry about it affecting the planet in their lifetime is part of the problem. Yes, they have to answer their corporate interests, but two, you see like you see like certain kind of right wing people and like you know uh, s- suddenly uh, switch tune switch their tone on an issue once it actually affects them. Like they'll like they'll turn the other way to certain things, and then uh, when an issue all of a sudden comes up in a way that affects them, like oh, maybe I'll like start actually caring about this thing now that it affected my my child or my relative or whatever. So, you know, th- th- that all of a sudden people don't care about a comment. I feel like two years ago, like that, it's kind of weird. Like that wouldn't have really rung true to me because like, you know, once you know that, hey, this thing's going to hit in six months, then maybe actually people would care is how, what I would say two years ago. But now it's like, but so that would have been what I would have said two years ago. Now I've watched for the last almost two years, half of our country not really give a shit as like a million people died. And really didn't want to, and really didn't feel the need to change the way they did things or actually do anything differently or uh, pass legislation to do anything differently uh, as that all, all as all that death was happening around them. So then all of a sudden, this movie actually feels kind of tame. You can understand why the average Joe would be like, "What the fuck do you mean a meteor is going to hit the Earth? Like that actually sounds ridiculous." And uh, like, so I, I don't have as much trouble believing they wouldn't want to do anything about that when I've seen so many people not want to do anything about COVID. So like, I feel like the. The, all the examples he's going for like uh, feel really like odd and outdated kind of in our times because it's like hard for like me to treat this as anything that's all that outrageous when I have seen what have ha- has happened the last couple of years. So it's just like I, I feel like there's again that it's not totally Adam McKay's fault that that happened when he had already probably finished writing this movie. But like it, you got to like be like, or do you want to go ahead and spend 150 million dollars of Netflix's money on this thing? Do you really think it's going to resonate? And like I just, I just don't under, I don't really think it did. I don't, I don't think it, because the movie wasn't good. I don't think it really started the conversation about climate change that he wanted to. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we get it, climate change, but your movie kind of sucks. And I don't think that's exactly where he thought the conversation was going to go yeah no i have a friend who like you know was very reluctant to see this movie for a lot of the same reasons and he was like i just know that we're just going to get like 
waves and waves of like you know social move like message movies about how like oh in a in a true crisis people won't care enough to like do what they're supposed to do like we're just going to see that movie dozens and dozens of times and i guess this is going to be like the first one of those and yeah it sort of is granted like we talked about this movie was meant for global warming it was conceived of before covid and all that jazz but like you said um the allegory being made you know it doesn't necessarily ring true for like a couple different reasons just based on like you know the differences between this and and global warming and this and covid now granted um you know i think part of you know satire is this heightened sort of reality where you can comment on uh you know what you know what's going on in the real world through this sort of ludicrous um construction of a world um you know think of you know uh, what's it called a doctor strange love you know riding an atom bomb sure. down to the to, to the surface and that's a movie i don't even really like that much either but you know that that, that ludicrous image you know the cold war was a little more grounded than that but it is a ludicrous idea i mean as somebody who was born after the cold war ended you know that that does seem like a ludicrous sort of like uh world to live in and that movie like tries to portray that in you know a more condensed sort of way that's what i guess they're going they were going for here but the problem is the filmmaking doesn't match like we've been saying i mean i i, I don't know how many i guess we're doing the same thing the movie does but like in in just approaching this material in only the most obvious ways possible, you kind of lose the, uh, you know, the lunacy of it, like in portraying like, you know, news reports, you know, where like, you know, they're, they're questioning these scientists, you know, who came up with this, uh, uh, who made this discovery, you know, it kind of just looks like Fox News talking about global warming and, and that's it. It mirrors the conversation. It doesn't elevate it. It doesn't, offer like a more ludicrous world uh, that like acts as a sort of commentary on the world that we live in today. It is just saying, hey, what if what if we we acted the exact same way in this construction of a world that I made? Was there any like sliver of this movie, any one sequence where you're like, oh, that's actually kind of sharp commentary. Why couldn't you have had more of that? Because I'm like racking my brain. I'm trying to think if there's like a any kind of moment or uh, at least sequence or uh, exchange where I was like, oh, part of that script right there seems like the kind of thing I would have been into, and it just didn't really have any interest in going there. Or is it just did it, was there not even that moment for you? Well, no, not in the commentary, but there is, I think, a sliver of a good movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't come from the commentary. It actually comes from the characters. In a way, it kind of goes back to something you had said earlier when we started talking. Uh, you had made mention of, uh, I, I'm forgetting exactly what you had said, but you had said something along the lines of uh, the, the movie doesn't like make an attempt to interrogate, like, why do people feel the way they feel about, you know, like, why do, you know, in, in, like, we know, we know they don't do anything about it. Why don't they do anything about it? Yeah. Like, you know, it, of course, like this movie takes like the most obvious, you know, because they only care about their polls, you know, they, they're so short sighted, but like, you know, like we get it and that is kind of how it works in the real world but i think that you know the 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 benefit of doing a story like this is that you could probably like does this movie not seem a little more interesting if it's from the perspective of the people who don't give a shit you know like and it it make make it a sort of interrogation of why they don't give a shit now Um, now that i'm just looking at the plot summary and one thing i did like was then when all of a sudden in in a more matter of fact way than a lot of the movie it kind of like they note that like the that the head of nasa is just like a donor to the president yeah actually yeah granted granted yeah like they they're like the head of nasa is saying that you uh you that the science isn't exactly proven and they're like yeah but she's like an an anesthesiologist who was a super donor for the president of course like she doesn't know anything about the science and that's one thing that like i think people kind of especially after trump and like some of the appointees there like remember when he just put he just made ben carson the hud secretary just so he could like put the black guy as the urban development guy even though he was a brain surgeon but just because like yeah I, well i guess that's not the best example because trump's like black guy urban and that he probably didn't think any further than that but it was yeah. more just like you, you you can do that you can just put someone there no matter what their qualifications are i don't think people realize that that's probably more commonplace than they think so i kind of like the movie like doing that but they I, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't know how entertaining it is to delve into the machinations of how that worked, but I was like, oh, I kind of like that they went there. And now these scientists have to like actually kind of like 
go back and forth with this person who maybe in a vacuum isn't a dumb person, but they're just there for the wrong reasons. And maybe it would have been interesting to see them like have to like actually work with those people as opposed to like literally everyone just like pretending this comment wasn't a thing, which I, again, like you said, it's heightened. I get it. But like, there are even people that like, you know, I don't know, like, I feel like there's people that like probably do like actually believe in climate change that don't really do, give a shit because of other factors, you know, and they're, yeah, they're, now they're, we, oh, 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 now you're getting to a little bit of nuance. I, <laughs> I, you're getting into nuance and like complicated character motivations and shit like right. get that shit out of here, man. Let's let's go with the most obvious fucking thing. Come on, man. What are you okay, doing? I, OK, I get what you're saying. Like, so there wasn't much there for either of us to hold on to. What about like. Again, I I only well, actually listen. actually what I was I'm sorry I'm sorry yeah, my, yeah my, my, sorry my, go you ahead you were saying but but um you know in talking about like you know like what motivates these people I just want to get to the part of the movie that I it's so frustrating in a way it's it's more frustrating than if it wasn't there at all like this kernel of a good idea um well not a good idea but a good good part of the movie and that is uh, the characters now granted there's not a lot to go on a lot of the character moments are kind of getting to this uh you know trying to like get the message out like you know both uh jennifer lawrence and leonardo dicaprio are you know they're they're capable actors they're doing what they can with the material and they both get their their big loud like you know i want an oscar monologues where they get to shout at the camera about how nobody cares about this and we're supposed to all be very affected by it you know um i was not to be clear but I think there is something to be said about the the moments where these people actually feel like people dealing with each other. Like, I like, for example, um, well, like is a bit of a strong word, but I do sort of appreciate the arc that Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes through. Um, you know, he's this, you know, bookish sort of scientist who, you know, finds himself catapulted into stardom. He gets their sort of recognition that has always kind of eluded him in his academic life. Um, he embraces it. He kind of becomes a part of the machine, you know, with he has a good intention, but he kind of gets sucked into this, you know, this machine of like, you know, uh, going on these press tours. And he, he sort of builds builds a brand for himself on the back of this you know, mission to get people to know about the comet. And uh, aside from sleeping with the Kate Blanchett character, though, I don't really feel like I see like what he's getting out of it really that all that much personally. Well, he's getting he's getting recognition that he like early in the movie, uh, like one of the very first scenes is like he's on the phone with like the head of NASA and the head of like the this the space defense initiative or whatever. And like he asks, like he taught he's talking to the space defense initiative guy and he's like, uh, do you remember? Do you know who I am? And he's like, no. And you can see that yeah. that bothers him. Like, so it, the seeds are sort of there. It's just that character tick is kind of overwhelmed by all this other stuff uh, going on in the movie. So I can understand why you kind of, you know, didn't pick up on it. Uh, but so, yeah, no, he, I like the, 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 the arc that his character goes through where he kind of becomes a part of the machine uh, and realizes that whatever his intentions, however noble they might be, um, there's no way that he's going to be able to budge this thing. Like it's a, it's operating on an inertia of its own. Honestly, that's actually probably the social commentary that I enjoyed the most. It has nothing to do with our response to climate change necessarily, but it has to do with. Um, it, also, it also kind of, because of when it came out, it feels like they just like rewrote that part of the movie after they saw what happened with Fauci. Uh, not, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what he did, but right. it does kind of feel like I, you can't help. It your mind can't like, help but like, go with it. Yeah, you're my, I mean, you, you can't help but think about the CDC suddenly going like, you know what, five days, five <laughs> days, that's okay. You know, we, we can work with five days. Um, <laughs> and honestly, like, you know, in, in that way, that the, the movie kind of takes on, I think, the, the, the Biden administration. I don't know if that was intentional. I'm sure the script was written, you know, years before Biden took office. But, you know, like the idea of like putting your hope in you know being able to affect change within the insider getting like the right guys in the room um making the decisions and then finding out that oh no meet the new boss same as the old boss um and i actually did like his relationship with uh with uh, jennifer lawrence's character you know that sort of mentor mentee thing they had going on that you know gets soured because of his own ambitions mm. i like the um toward the end of the movie where people just start taking this thing seriously and they start grappling with what that means for them. Uh, some people turn to their faith. 
Um, you know, the, that's where you get a Timothy Chalamet's character. I generally see people saying that he comes, he comes out of this movie like the most unscathed, Chalamet. Yeah, but that's because he's not in it for most of the movie. Well, <laughs> uh, but but more 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 like referring to like that character, like maybe like working more than some of the others did. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. What I mean to say is that because he's not part of this whole like he's not necessarily part of the satirical part of the movie that's trying to get across sure. the social message. He plays just this kind of i think burnout kind of guy um you know he seems to have been a burnout kind of guy before the comet was <laughs> made 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 public but he has his faith um you know he's a chilled out sort of dude who doesn't really like live for tomorrow um but you know he does have this sort of uh, i forget his personal backstory but um you know it's an interesting sort of uh character to play and it again completely disconnected from the politics of the movie it's all character based it's all him reacting to this event that he has no control over and how he deals with that and yeah it's a more interesting character and it's a more interesting uh it's dealing with more interesting thematic material than the rest of the movie does um which yeah that let back end of the movie where it's all that sort of, you know, character work going on is the most fascinating part. It also reminds you of movies like fucking Melancholia, which did that, but better. And it was the entire movie. So, you know, even that kind of ends up being frustrating in a way. Yeah. Do you have any feelings about like the end? Like I didn't, that really didn't do much for me either, though. I feel like everyone's like, I've had, I've had a lot of people ask me about it. I'm just like, we've literally just lived through a year of like, billionaires trying to build spaceships rather than like and spending billions of dollars doing that rather than saving the planet like this it's just not surprising to me like i i it just did very little for me did you get anything out i mean i get it like i get what you're saying like is that i mean that scene around the dinner table like i get why that like that's even people that are like the biggest cynics and critics of this movie i am so 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 annoyed that i can't get out of my head like the moment where leo is like we really did have it all it's so it's so corny it's so like for it's so aggravating that like after two hours of just this kind of like really limp uh like tepid sort of satire we get that moment and it kind of does work for me right so I, that, maybe... that, well, that makes you feel something and i it's like even the biggest critics of the movie agree like oh yeah like so yeah i, I guess when i was asking you earlier like oh is there like any kind of sequence of satire or uh messaging that you like like we're past it at that point and it's like oh okay cool adam mckay you were able to like create one moving moment by accident in this whole thing um <laughs> But like, but but after that, it's like uh, they they have to do that scene where the where the where the billionaire spaceship planet like lands. I mean, I, I mean, is there any way they could have like landed the plane? No, no pun intended. Like in a way that like made you feel a little bit better about it, or were you just like you know whatever? I mean, after they had that dinner table scene, or because I, I I wasn't that final scene on the twenty thousand years later scene really didn't do much for me anyway. You know. I thought that that was technically like, wasn't that mid credits? That was a mid credit scene. Oh, okay. Maybe it was. Okay. I think, I mean, I, 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 I flipped through it a little bit before we started, but like, I, I don't remember if that, I believe that was like a mid credit scene, like, you know, very quickly after the, uh, the credits ended. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. I did. I, I checked out by that point. I didn't, I didn't really care. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if the rest of the movie took that sort of goofy sort of tone, um, rather than trying to, you know, be a serious movie about serious issues, like maybe I would have enjoyed it more, you know, um, that being said, like, I, I, I should say that, um, you know, when you started talking about how the movie's not funny, I said like, well, you know, satire doesn't necessarily, I want to be clear here. The fact that this movie is not funny might, you know, I think that it's greatest in is the tepid so- social commentary, but right up next to it is the fact this is not a funny movie. I saw this in theaters. Um, I saw this in a in a matinee showing on a Saturday or a Sunday. And there was like, you know, it's not like there was tons of people, but there was like over like enough people that you'd expect one person to laugh at some point in the movie. No one laughed. There's a couple chuckles. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Certainly there was like that running gag where like, uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is trying to figure out why this general would charge her for snacks that were free at the White House. and she just keeps coming back to it throughout the entirety of the movie. You know, honestly, like it's one of those things where like that, I, I guess it's, it's good comedy writing in the sense that like, you know, calling back to this earlier gag that wasn't really that funny to begin with um, just makes it funnier. Um, I, I, I'll grant that, but like, it's the only thing that 
even like registered as funny to me so much of this humor just doesn't doesn't land uh the broadest one the broadest example the one who's really going for laughs is jonah hill and he ends up coming across as more irritating than anything else um just because everyone else is playing this movie as like a sort of kind of lower key sort of satire or more it doesn't feel right to say character based because like i said there's not enough work done with these characters but you know a more character based sort of comedy and he's just going really broad with it, like, you know, just constantly cracking jokes and making references, um, which, again, are not very funny. At one point, he calls Jennifer Lawrence the the boy with the dragon tattoo or something like that. And I, I was staring at the screen like, really? That movie is like six years old now. And it's, like ten, it's actually 10 years. I think it came out in 2011. But uh... yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Well, I, wasn't there like, no, there was a actually I take that back because it wasn't the, the girl with the in the spires, spiders web or something like that, which came out like three years ago. Uh, yes, but Dragon Tattoo came out in 2011. So it had been a full 10 years when they uh, it came out full 10 years before. Don't look up. Uh, spiders web was a few years ago, but that was I mean, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't I, I, I don't have a lot to add. I just I it's interesting because I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not again. I'm not sure how something like this really would work for me, but like, I, I, I find the big short really impressive. Like you said at the beginning, like that's some really complex subject matter. And um, he, 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 maybe it's cause he tells the story a little more straightforward and even doing so you can, you can feel his anger coming across, but it just, it just feels like more of a straight retelling rather than trying to get really smart. Like he is here. And even though I think it takes someone who does have some smarts to like make the big short as entertaining as it is considering the subject matter. But I mean, maybe it's just also because, I, I really was learning more than I felt like I was here. It's a, it, it feels like here he's just telling you shit we already know the whole time. Mm, that's a, and, that's and, a good point. That's and a good point. it's just like, I feel like, I mean, who knows? Maybe some people that just like are really not that into consuming media and don't really like think that hard about climate change and why we're at where we're at with it. Maybe they're going to like feel like they're getting a little more out of it or it might just go totally over their head, I guess, as opposed to like, if you already kind of agree with him on this thing going in, then like uh, and and you know a li- even a little bit about the subject matter, you just feel like you're like you're you're just a choir that's getting preached to in a way that just doesn't feel all that entertaining or funny. Whereas like with the Big Short, it's like, hey, yeah, I probably think do think these rich assholes deserve to, to like eat shit, but I don't I don't understand why or what they did. And so it's more if if he can find like a a somewhat not dry way to like convey what they did, uh, and then then i'll be there for it but here it's just i, I it wasn't telling me a single thing i didn't already know and i think in that's a way, it in a way it kind of reminds me of the purge which i've never seen the purge that, movies really yep all right well the I'm first sure there'll purge, be a se- i'm sure there'll be another sequel in a couple of years and i'll catch up yeah i still haven't seen the latest one i need to go actually i say that now i might rent that tonight but in any case um you know the first purge movie is like very much just a just a a, a home invasion thriller with like this sort of like subtext of like social commentary of like you know the rich versus the poor and this and that like but but people picked up on that element a lot and they really respond to that so then each successive entry in the series became you know pushed that more and more to the forefront and for me that was to diminishing returns because it just became less and less interesting as like this sort of uh you know flavor to the action going on on screen became more and more like just what you were here to come see uh, according to like, I guess the producers of the franchise and it just became less and less interesting um, because I guess maybe, maybe it's, you know, it's a, I, I, let's not, this isn't the purge podcast right now. My point here is that I feel like that's kind of how uh, the trajectory of McKay's career is going. Like with that first movie uh, with the big short, you know, yeah, it is like social commentary. He is like, you know, he has an opinion. He has something to say. But, you know, it is also a very like stylized studio comedy. Right. And with each successive movie, I think, you know, he's doubling down more on the message aspect and losing sight of what made that movie appeal to people in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Any other final thoughts on this? Because I don't really have anything else to say. Ah. <sighs> It was the most frustrating experience I've been in a movie theater since uh, I want. I said Vice, maybe actually, you know, probably um, Green Book, you didn't, which you actually didn't. is actually another example of a comic director who decided to go make a message. This is this is a worse movie than Green Book. I know you hated Green Book. Like this is worse than Green Book. Ooh, I don't even. Take. 
I, you know, I, it's a toss up for me. I always I'll had a fun you. time in the theater for Green Book because I was with a bunch of like older family members that were like 100% the target demographic. And I enjoy <laughs> it when like I know my family is getting something out of it, even if I had to explain to them why it shouldn't have won Best Picture. And that wasn't like a fun th- discussion to keep having over and over again. There, there are isolated parts of that movie I could enjoy more than anything here. And I had a nice time at the theater with my family. This was no such thing. I watched it with my grandpa who hated it. And that was it. Uh, I hope you see to see it. Do you agree with the message? I don't, I don't, I don't know if you really totally, I, I didn't really engage with him too much on it. I mean, I don't, it was like too weird. And we just moved on to watching something else. I didn't have too long of a discussion, He, but he made, he made his feelings known. I don't think he felt like he was being preached to in a political way. Uh, he, just, he just hated the movie. Yeah. He just didn't, he didn't have a fun time. Fair watching. response, sir. Yeah. Fair did, response. Did you have to venture away from the regal that you're a member of to watch this? Did you spend money on oh, this beyond your number thing? God. Yeah, I did. Oh, it's what the hell? Movie. What are you doing, man? Yo, it's a Netflix movie. I had to go all the way to fucking um, not City Walk. There's like an art. There's like a Cinemark. There's a Cinemark in in Universal City Walk, and then there's this across the street. There's See, one. I, in, like, I like what you're accomplishing. I like what you're what you're accomplishing by doing that. Because in theory, I like these movies. Like I like theaters making the effort to get these Netflix movies, even if like mm. I know some of the big chains aren't doing that because of the windowing or whatever. But like, man, I feel bad for you actually spent money on this when you like yeah, already spent a monthly fee. All across town and beyond that, it's frustrating because you know movies like this. I feel like I, in the abstract, the idea that a guy in 2021 or 2020 like gets like 70 million dollars to make a comedy. And not only like a, a political satire, like it's wild that, you know, this, you know, that somebody would have enough clout to be able to, you know, do that in like, you know, this day and age in this modern Hollywood uh, environment and to see him squander that gift mm-hmm. so horribly uh, is just so aggro. I was so mad walking. Yeah, out. I mean, I really hope like, I mean, even if it's not him, like it's just. I, I I don't even know how Netflix evaluates shit at this point because so many people just mindlessly watch anything on Netflix, you know, mm. uh, like I'm going to watch something like this regardless because I, I, I feel like I need to be informed because I do this podcast or whatever, but it's like people that really have better things to do with their time, like what is watch something because it's on Netflix. So maybe they're like, oh, wow, like it's worth it for us to pay a bunch of money to Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence because then even more people are going to watch it than they'll normally watch something just because it's on here. And maybe they won't think twice about giving him money again to do it. And again, I don't know if he's the guy I want to get a bunch of money to like get a chance to do something like this, but I want someone to, cause I, you know, it's nice that like, you know, certain people can like get things made on big budgets that aren't Marvel movies as much as I like the Marvel movies. So I'm hoping that like, you know, the uh, actual quality of this movie doesn't like deter other people from like either giving Adam McKay or someone else a shot. But, um, yeah, I think we've about well covered it and we've made people know how we feel. But I mean, by the time people are listening to this, like people have made up their mind on watching it or not. So I don't feel like I'm giving a recommendation, but I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I felt the need to be on the record with this one, even if uh, we're talking about it almost three weeks after the fact. Like I didn't care enough to go watch it again, but I cared enough to actually say I thought it was bad. Uh, moving on. The, the, the second movie we're talking about today is The Tragedy of Macbeth. It is a, uh, like a Kate A24, uh, Apple TV Plus, like, well, actually not co-production. A, A24 was the production company being distributed by a24 and apple tv plus it is written and directed by joel cohen his first ever like solo effort on one of these things separate from his brother ethan it is based on shakespeare's macbeth and it uh stars denzel washington in the title role francis mcdormand as lady macbeth and it's the story of macbeth which i don't i might have read in high school but i i honestly can't remember and i never really revisited the material so i was going into this uh fairly blind but you know i mean i think it's a fairly uh obviously a fairly well-known play and about you know this uh Lord Macbeth, played by Denzel, who, you know, gets talked into like kind of making a power grab by his wife and, you know, ends up going on a, on a little bit of a killing spree and uh, has to deal with the fallout of that just to like make it so I don't have to spend five minutes summarizing the plot like I normally do. And I think it's I think it's interesting this movie happened at all. You know, it's it's because it, uh, Joel Cohen decided to make it a very unique way. It is a departure from the kind of thing, mostly for the for the most part, from the kind of thing we've seen Denzel Washington doing the last 10, 15 years. And so I think there's a lot of interesting components going into this largely shot on a almost exclusively. I think I actually shot on a soundstage in Los Angeles uh, and done in black and white. So a lot of interesting components in how Joel Cohen went into adapting this thing that has been adapted a lot before. Again, I might have I read like two or three Shakespeare plays in high school, maybe one in college. I took like a very basic theater appreciation course because it got me some general credits I needed. And that's like my that's that's like the extent of my experience with Shakespeare beyond like any other film adaptations I've seen. And I don't even know if I've seen that many like 
non-modern film adaptations as opposed to like you know when the modern people try and like you know do something uh that they try and modernize a shakespeare shakespeare type thing or something like that um heck we just talk, we just all watch west side story so i mean i think my experience with shakespeare is almost more based on like modern retellings than it is of the original stuff so i'm wondering daniel like we were talking a little bit before we started recording it became pretty apparent to me as i was watching this like i just don't think this kind of thing is for me i can respect a lot of what joel cohen's doing here but it's just not for me i don't want to kill him for it it's just it's just very clearly not my thing to watch people talk in this kind of language for two hours just not the way i like to watch tv and movies and you kind of told me like hey i'm kind of the same way but i really did like this movie and i know the cohen's are your guys uh as you told me before we even uh decided to do this podcast so i'm wondering when you hear like oh this is a shakespeare thing i'm not necessarily a shakespeare guy but i am a cohen's guy so what are you hoping when you see the cohen's or, or at least one cohen is tackling shakespeare what kind of like what about his sensibility are you hoping will come through in source material that's not necessarily right up your alley yeah well i should note here that i'm you know, I, Claire, to clarify, I know very little of Shakespeare. I have a lot of friends who are huge fans. Mm-hmm. Eh, like I, I, I managed to go through all of my high school years without ever like doing any sort of reading of Shakespeare. Um, the only Shakespeare I have read, <laughs> the only Shakespeare I have read one Shakespeare, and that was Much Ado About Nothing, because, you know, in the aftermath of uh, the Avengers, Joss Whedon went and he did, uh, you know, Much Ado About Nothing. And I was excited for that. And so I, I read the play and I actually enjoyed it. I thought that it was very funny, uh, very almost fresh, considering that it was, you know, it's like a, a, a play written like 600 years ago. Or whatever but i have you know i'm very vaguely familiar with you know macbeth you know just because you know i'm a i'm an american you know fairly like well-read uh you know i i i'm vaguely familiar with i've seen throne of blood you know that's as far as it and i know like something wicked this way comes you know the 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 forest will march on your castle you know uh, no man will kill you which i think tolkien did better but whatever uh, I know vaguely the story of Macbeth, right? Um, I knew the dialogue would be a little bit of a challenge. And whenever I watch um, one of these adaptations that keeps the Shakespearean dialogue, it's always like a little bit of a struggle because half of my brain is trying to process, you know, this sort of like old English language and trying to understand. But, you know, once you get into the rhythm of it, I find you, I, I, I am very appreciative of like the wit. I think that there is a lot of like, uh, like the wordplay, uh, the, the jokes, the, um, the snide remark, like that's the stuff that kind of resonates with me when I watch a Shakespeare adaptation. And that's the part, I guess, that like coming into a Cohen directed Shakespeare adaptation, that's, I guess, the part that I was kind of like interested in, like, how does he handle these sorts of like the, the sort of like pointed characters? Because, you know, the Cohen brothers, the, their writing style is so unique. Um, A, to have them tackling someone else's words entirely, like they've adapted stuff before, but to have them, you know, parroting, like, you know, using the the the, the words of somebody else, uh, that was an interesting component for me. And to have it be Shakespeare, who's known for, uh, you know, by for me, the appeal of Shakespeare is sort of like the barbs, the wit, um, it, it lacks the sort of mm, the sort of, I guess, folksy specificity that I've grown accustomed to with the Coen brothers, um, the eccentricities that they introduced to their characters. Um, and so I was just curious. I was just curious to see what that ends up looking like. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, and I'll just say, like, I, I didn't know what to expect because I think my Shakespeare experience was even more limited than yours and. I, I just, I guess my brain just wasn't up for the challenge. I, I think I kind of, in my head, I knew that that's what Shakespeare sounds like. And I actually got into the theater and like five seconds in, I'm like, oh God, I didn't feel like thinking this hard today. It's the weekend, man. Uh, maybe I should have I, I, I had the exact same thought as you. Um, it's just a, I, I, I just hunkered down, man. And also, well, also I should, I say that um, I do think admittedly that Um, My experience with this, which I should say, I did love this movie. I did actually quite love this movie, despite the fact that I was, you know, trying to translate the the material, despite the fact that it was probably one of the worst theatrical experiences I've had in a while. Why is that? Um, Just because, oh, you know, I had to go all all the way to like Disney Springs, which I'd I'd rather not have gone to that theater for like a couple of reasons, some personal. Uh, uh, There was like, I think like for like a third of the movie, like in the middle of it, there was a couple getting it on in the back. 
Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you went on a rant like three three appearances ago about like how you went on a date there that was like a disaster. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. So, oh, no, that was City Walk. That oh, was okay. City Walk. No, no, Man, no. You, you one... just need to avoid these theme park movie theaters, you know? Yo, I, I really fucking do. But any in any case, um, it wasn't an ideal viewing experience, but I was just so taken. And I think the as much as, you know, yeah, it's Shakespeare, who's like considered one of the greatest writers of all time, whatever. Yeah, it's the co, you know, yeah, it's, um, um, what was I saying? Yeah, you know, you've got Denzel, you've got, you know, Francis McDormand, you have all these like, you know, high caliber actors handling the material. The real star of the tragedy of Macbeth isn't in the acting and it's not in the script. Honestly, it's in it's in the design. It's in the look of the movie. It's in the uh, the, the cinematography, which, oh, man, I had I had it in front of me. Bruno Del bon- Debonel. Bruno Debonel is the uh, director of photography for this film, and he fucking kills it. Like uh, the, the set design, I don't know who did that, uh, but the art direction and the set design is is just immaculate. the The look of this movie, it's meant to harken back to the sort of like fifties epic films. Uh, it's meant to harken back to. I actually watched um, the uh, the fifties adaptation of Julius Caesar earlier last year. And this like captures that feel entirely. Like, you know, you, like you mentioned, it was shot almost entirely on sound stages. Um, it presents like a sort of like German expressionist sort of vision of Shakespeare. Uh, you know, the set design is very sparse, which um, it both manages to like harken back to this long lost way of making these sorts of movies. And it also makes it feel like a theatrical production, as in like uh, it's taking oh. place on a stage. Okay, so two things. Uh, one, you kind of got away from the language thing. I didn't have much more to say on it other than didn't work for me. But like one thing I liked was I can tell how much the actors like the challenge. And that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to think about. Like I, I watched someone, it's cool to see someone like Corey Hawkins who like has been like just doing different stuff, but never anything like this before. You know, he's Dr. Drain straight out of Compton. He, he did a, uh, he, he did a stint as like that. One of those reboot seasons of 24, he was in, in the Heights. And like, it's like, Oh, it's cool that like a guy like him, that's never really dug his teeth into that. He, I don't really know his background. Maybe he's a classically trained actor. Cause I'm sure there are people like that, that he went know. to Juilliard. Apparently. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he probably did this shit all the time in, uh, in like college. And then like just went into like doing totally different kinds of stuff once he broke into the industry. So I bet part of these, part of these actors like really relishes the opportunity to like go actually try their hand at this kind of stuff that like, I bet they had to like do do a lot when they were training. So I enjoyed thinking about that and watching them like deliver some of the dialogue, even if I didn't particularly enjoy trying to think about what it actually meant. Like I, I, I was able to appreciate that. The other thing on the set design, though, and uh, the set designer is a guy named uh, Stefan Dechant, apparently. Uh, one thing that the one thing that stood out to me about it was that I think it kind of like it, it was so it was so sparse in a way that like and shot in a way that made so much of it. I don't know if I mean I, th- I think I saw one of the reviews I read use the term negative space, and 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 maybe that's true in that like there's just like so little going on there. I guess they probably. Uh, film this during covid so maybe that had something to do with them maybe maybe it looks a little different if they don't have uh, if, if, if yeah yeah so they, they they film most of this like uh in july 20 july and august of 2020 apparently so i mean maybe it looks a little different if they have like eased covid restrictions but i think it works because it makes this world feel very sparse uh not all that opulent and uh it's like what are they fighting over and it, it kind of like makes the whole entire enterprise that the Macbeths go on see like so much more futile and like, what the hell are you, what, what did you guys even do all this for? Which I know is like, mm. you know, it, the, the, uh, just the futility of this power grab and like how it eats these people apart. Cause it's like, what, what, what were we doing this for anyway? And I feel like just the design of this world only like serves, like underscores that it's like, man, like you really like you, you, you could have like gone and been a king of this. Cause that's the idea, right? Like uh, the king that he ends up killing was going to already make him the king of this other area that he conquered for him anyway. And Lady Macbeth's like, no, like just go for it, bro. Uh, bro. Uh, I, I mean, like, you, you know what I mean? And it's like, all right, like you're really trying to make some power grab to be like the main guy in this, in, in this, in Scotland here. And it's like, for 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 what man like there's this like yeah. very like, little uh, here the, the guy he, Macbeth he has no kids it's not like he's passing this on to somebody else like he's just in it for the just idea do, of power just go yeah just go enjoy retirement and I mean so that's what I liked about it I mean I, I'll say what I don't like maybe beyond the dialogue is that like 
again, and I get what he's going for by stripping this down though. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I guess I, and I guess, well, I guess that is the point, but it was more just like, I wanted to see a little bit more of like maybe what the other people thought of him, I suppose. Cause like, it's kind of a big moment where people kind of confront him killing the King and he's able to like kind of play it off by just killing any of the witnesses and it's like, whatever, but like, you don't really see like, uh, the world is so small that I don't understand why these people would turn against him beyond the people that he backstabbed. And maybe that's it. Like the the story feels fairly parred down. I don't, and who knows, maybe there's more in the play about it, but like, uh, I guess I heard, I've heard that this, this, this adaptation is like, particularly shaved down i think but like i'm not familiar and, enough yeah with the and, to know. and also their relationship like i think he and uh francis mcdormand have pretty interesting chemistry i appreciated seeing denzel uh tackle something different but it was kind of like uh I, I feel like there there maybe could have been a couple of extra scenes where you just kind of like um it just kind of saw like what exactly it was i mean all of a sudden she's just like kind of talking him into this uh hatching this plan i'm like i would have wondered maybe maybe seen a little bit more about what was uh driving her to, but I mean, again, there, there's, there's aspects of this that kind of work for me. It's just like, you know, it, it, again, just not for me, but like, so I'm hesitant to like, you know, criticize it too harshly. Cause again, I, I can't really blame Joe, Joel Cohen for like, uh, me not connecting with the Shakespeare thing when Shakespeare's not my thing in the first place, but it, it, it is a lot of people's thing, you know? So, uh, and I, so I get what you're saying about, about this, about how you really like the look of this, but what else about it? Like really work for you? Well, like you actually mentioned, like you appreciated the uh, how the actors dealt with this sort of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not like I'm not a Shakespeare expert, so I don't have a ton to compare this to. Mm-hmm. I don't know whose interpretation of what character is more interesting than whose. I, I, I don't know any of that stuff. What I can say, though, is that um, I, I did enjoy like pretty much every single performance in this movie you know uh cory hawkins is a guy who i you know when he when he first came on the scene with straight out of compton i was not impressed and he's just continued Mm -hmm. to do so uh with every role that he takes like i thought that he handled a lot of the this movie with like a lot of gravitas um yeah the scene where he finds out about the death of his family um I thought it was actually kind of moving which is you know odd thing to say considering how you know impenetrable the dialogue can be for me at times um you know i like denzel i like den the you know i I was interested in seeing what you know denzel washington would do with 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 shakespeare who i you know presume is like you know i'm sure that he was fresh and hot shit when it was like 1600 he was a tarantino of his age but he doesn't come across that way to me you know what i mean and uh you know he handles it with the sort of regalness that you you know that I think is befitting the character of Macbeth, but he also, there's a little, there's little moments where you get like a little bit of like the Denzel's charm, um, like the moments where he's freaking out, like, you know, uh, and, and going mad with, you know, the weight of his actions. Um, I think he, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but he brings like a sort of quality to it that is, he's bringing, he's, he's bringing a different energy than a lot of people in it. And I appreciated that. Yeah, like yeah, they're, 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 he brings like a sort of anger to it uh, that I don't think that uh, which was a little bit unexpected, and you know it had a sort of modern twang to it, uh, which I, you know I thought that it, it it was actually quite interesting to watch. It's the most interesting Denzel performance I've seen in a while. Um, you know, Definitely. of course, you know, shout out to to uh, Catherine Hunter as the witches. Uh, she's just you know it's I think one of the greatest performances of the year. Uh, she has such an amazing physicality to it, um, like the way she's like contorting herself, um, you know, like the, the creepiness, the eeriness of her stare, of her voice, um, you know, and this also goes into the, uh, the cinematography and the set design because, you know, every moment where she's on screen is it's like a revelation for me like i love like that first appearance where like you know uh denzel comes across her with um with malcolm i believe and or or banquo i i think it's a bankrupt okay yeah the names admittedly got a little lost in the shuffle for me but um he comes across her at this battlefield and she's standing in front of this lake of water she's playing the three witches but there's only one woman and her she you see her reflection and she's standing above this pool of water. And then in the reflection, uh, the water standing on the ground, like you see her separate and become like three, three people at once. It's, it, it's just 
oh, it's so beautiful to look at like the, the the dream sequence where he's consulting the witches and they're like she's up in the rafters mm-hmm. like looking like a crow the way that she even like takes her hands and like kind of positions them on her shoulders in a way that makes her black cloak look like wings like oh mm-hmm. it's just like that it's the sort of imagery that really does pull you in to the into this world with the sort of i guess it's the, it offers um in the look of the film it offers the sort of specificity that i've come to expect from like the coen brothers uh, and to pull that dialogue. off and to pull that off at a soundstage is pretty impressive yeah absolutely like it, it is i well in a way i guess that you know it, it's a, the kind of thing that you know in order to conjure this sort of very specific world it needed to be on a soundstage um, right. You know, because there's an artifice to this world that, you know, if they filmed, even if like in like in a real cat in the fucking Macbeth's castle itself, it wouldn't have conjured, they wouldn't have cultivated the same sort of atmosphere, this sort of, this sort of eerie, you know, dreary fakeness, emptiness um, to this world. I love that point that you made about, um, about how like, you know, the sparseness of the set design kind of makes you wonder like, what exactly is this all for? It makes the the, the ambitions of Macbeth seem even more like nakedly uh, self-interested, uh, even more nakedly selfish. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good point to make. And yeah, it, it, it comes across quite beautifully. Yeah, I mean, hmm, I'm trying to think. Uh, I. I don't know. I think I've made it clear that like I I found like stuff to respect here, and I, I I can't help but wonder. And I don't blame them for not doing this, but I because it's this is a me problem and not a anyone else problem. But I'm wondering if they just like done an anachronistic thing and just had them talk like people. I wonder how I would have felt about it because I mean maybe I would have just thought it seemed like a silly enterprise if they go that way, and it's just on me to deal with this barrier. But like again, it, it's just the thing that like I had trouble connecting with. But I feel like I've done a decent enough job of explaining like. Uh, what parts of it like worked and like it's not going to be like my pick for uh, best picture or anything like that but I again I respect a lot of the component parts and I think it's cool to see Denzel try something you know I, you know one thing that's funny I um, uh, my friend Anthony sent me a, a Twitter DM the other day that shed that showed that like apparently like a red carpet interview with Denzel where he's like saying that he's been trying to have discussions with people like Paul Thomas Anderson Steve McQueen and uh, and uh, Alfonso Cuaron about like working with them and it's like, it's interesting. Maybe he's like getting to a part of his career. Where he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I mean, I'll just like, I, I want to go like, just like work with other people and do interesting stuff as opposed to like, just get a paid a bunch of money to just like do whatever he's been doing, you know? And uh, I, I think that's interesting. I think it's kind of cool that like, he just, he just went for it in something like this. Cause it's not only like the best one. Cause like, I, even as someone that wasn't absorbing like 75% of the dialogue, he said, like, I kind of agree with you too. Where I think it might be one of the best performances given in a while. So it's kind of cool to like see him like go into this mode and and try something. And I and I, I was able to enjoy that even as I wasn't really connecting with a lot of this movie. What, what other I I, I, I want to make sure I don't shortchange the movie just because of like uh, my my hangups. Is there other other parts of this you do want to at least touch on or delve into? Um, well, touch on. Um, I, I I don't know who to thank for this, but I, I, and I it's weird that I'm commending this truthfully, mm. but I mean good action. Decent action, considering how um, you know this is not a movie that I think needed to have decent action. But um, you know, honestly, like you know, they, uh, I was a little impressed. I was worried about what we would see from uh, from Joel Cohen, you know, in terms of the action. But like, yeah, it, yeah, it's not really shoots, his thing. But yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But he shoots. You know, he sh- he knows. You know, to to shoot not you know too close. Uh, he doesn't cut on the action. Um, apparently, the uh, the fight coordinator is uh he's the fight coordinator on a couple episodes of like season uh of uh of uh the boys hmm. and uh you know he did he's apparently fight choreographer on like Zack snyder's justice league which i i have not seen um equalizer 2 which not a great movie but you've not seen um, justice league uh well i've seen the i saw justice league you know when it came out in theaters in 2016 yeah or whatever i did not see Zack snyder's justice oh league. oh, oh. Wait, I mean, I'm pretty sure the action coordinator would be the same, right? No, I think that he was the action coordinator on just the reshoots. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which I, honestly, they do look decent. Um, they do look decent. Yeah, I see that he was like, he, you know, he was like a stunt player in like Dawn of Justice. 
Oh, no, no. Yeah, you're right. He's by choreographer on the original Justice League, too. So I guess they brought him. I was a surprise. That seemed like a movie you would have seen, if nothing else, just to see if you had a contrarian take on it. Oh, no. Uh, Four hours of Zack Snyder. No, thank you. But I know I just meant the original, but it makes sense that you would have seen the original for at least. Yeah, 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 Um, I did. But um, yeah, no, honestly, decent uh you know sword play um yeah i really like that last fight like i mean i I was kind of like there hadn't been a ton of action necessarily to that very emotionally charged and uh, by the way this is where we get back to like the imagery and like i guess that's how you distinguish uh your take on uh shakespeare on film these days but um i love the fact that that fight ends like the you know the way that Macbeth finally meets his end um is that, you know, he gets his crown knocked off and in the middle of a sword fight, he bends down to pick it up and put it on his head. And that's how he gets got. Um, you know, that, that's just a, a a perfect, like, thematic capping to, like, you know, the, the story of Macbeth. Um, he's a guy who's so interested in the idea of power or becomes so interested in the idea of power that he loses all sense of self-preservation. Um, also, uh, at that exact moment in my movie theater, somebody dropped a whole bunch of popcorn, uh, mm. and, and like they had, they had walked it, they had walked out of the movie, uh, like 30 minutes beforehand, I guess the line was long. They come in right before the fight starts. And then right at the moment he gets his head cut off, they drop everything they came in with. They dropped like a large soda and that was funny. But in any case, yes, I did love this movie. I genuinely think it's one of the best movies of the year. And uh, yeah, it makes me definitely excited to see uh, what else I guess Joel Cohen has up his sleeve in the future. Yeah, I again, I, I don't have much to add. I'm glad that you got. I'm glad that you liked it, and I, it, I, I, I hope I hope people. You know what, and- man? I, I I would recommend maybe. And you know, I'm not. You know. I think that I'm not one of those people who's like, you know, you got to try things more than once. Otherwise, you know, like I think that it, it, it things should work the first time around. But considering that the barrier for you is just the fact that it's like the Shakespearean dialogue, which is understandable for a modern viewer. Maybe if you if you give it a rewatch, like and just kind of know the bait, like how, how familiar are you with the story of Macbeth? Like less. Yeah, not much. So, you know, maybe if I'm like not as like worried about knowing where the story goes, maybe I'm able to like, you know, Focus yeah, in on the dialogue a little more. Exactly, exactly. And you, because like, like I knew vaguely enough what the how the story went. I knew that like, you know, I knew that like, uh, you know, he's the soil guy who ends up getting convinced to kill the king, and then he has to like, then he's racked with guilt, and then I knew all the the, the basics of the story. So like, uh, like it wasn't so much me watching to see what happens next. It was me watching to see, you know, how they portray the events of this story and I was which made like trying to parse out the dialogue not quite the struggle uh that it might have been otherwise so maybe it is just, I mean shit I know I'm gonna have to rewatch it because you know it'd be nice to see what was going on without having to worry about you know the couple fucking in the back you know of the theater so that'd be nice yeah all right well uh I I don't have as much time as I usually do but is there anything else you've been watching recently that you want to plug before we get off quickly Ah, uh, well, my, you know, my, my laptop's been kind of, oh, uh, right. yeah, kind of yeah, frit. Yeah. so like, I haven't been seeing as much as I normally do, but that still means that I'm at, I'm like, I've seen like 15 movies this year so far. So you for know, those that, for that. those that want to curious, Daniel still at a pretty good rate. We're recording this on January 9th. So despite him not having his main mechanism by which he normally watches uh, non new releases, he is uh, watching more than most of us. Yeah, I do have, uh, I, I'm recommending I'm burning through this series, this Hong Kong action series known as um, In the Line of Duty. Uh, I had seen the first movie uh, years ago, um, Yes, Madam, which is a Cynthia Rothrock, Michelle Yeoh uh, collaboration. I saw the second film a couple of days ago, Royal Warriors, uh, which stars Michelle Yeoh, and it also features Hariyuka Sonata, who you've actually seen. He played um, Scorpion in the in the latest uh in the the Mortal Kombat movie yeah, from so, last year, yeah. so you've seen him. He's like a classic like Japanese martial arts actor, and uh, and then I saw the third film, which where uh, Michelle Yeoh hands over the reins to um, to uh, uh, what's her name, Cynthia Khan, hmm. and these are just you know classic Hong Kong action movies, bombastic. You know the the action is just I I, I 
kept shouting like in my seat as I watched these movies, just because of how impressive the stunt work is, how impressive the choreography is. It's pitch perfect, the direction, even outside of the action. I found myself really caring for the characters. These guys really did know how to like sell the melodrama of these movies, even though they are bombastic action movies that, you know, run for like 90 minutes. They really did know how to sell it. Um, you know, and they're all helmed by like, you know, these classic uh, martial arts directors like Royal Warriors is like Corey Yoon. Or no, it's David Chung, who also did Magnificent mm. Warriors for Michelle Yeoh. First one was Corey Yoon. Uh, the next one that I have to see is In the Line of Duty 4, which features Donnie Yen. And it was directed by Yen Wu Ping, who, you know, went on to famously do the fight choreography on right. The Matrix. So uh, and and uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So yeah, this is what I recommend. You can find most of these kind of scattered around online on like YouTube, Daily Motion, whatsoever. At, at Prime, actually, it has three and four at least. So there you go. Highly recommend those. All right. Well, uh, I don't have anything to recommend. I'm 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 just I've I've already recommended everything I've seen that's worth seeing. But uh, do you want to pull your letterbox or anything like that? Yeah, sure. Uh, felonious Funk is my letterbox. All right. And uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Coming up next, I'll probably be joined by Fred for a podcast on The King's Man. Still sorting about a couple of the other awards, odds and ends things. Fred's committed to being the guy that gets dragged into talking about the last Oscar movie uh, of the year that I haven't talked about like I did last year. So uh, I've I've already kind of like uh, made it, forced him to agree to do Belfast with me at some point. I'm gonna I don't I didn't like that movie enough to like pay twenty dollars to watch it again. So be waiting till sometime before the Oscars where it drops to six ninety nine. Hopefully, uh, and aside from that, like we'll probably be. Uh, talking about like maybe a couple other things that are getting awarded here or there. If there's a, one of the foreign films that inspires me, but beyond that, then we'll be like, you know, doing the top 10 pod and um, I'll have a, and, and then probably just like getting in aside from like a Batman project I have in the works, it'll be uh, mostly just, you know, getting back into uh, or getting into 2022, which is honestly a little more Daniel's time of the year anyway, when we're uh, here in, in, in this portion of the movie calendar. So uh, I'll probably, he'll probably be back uh, some aside from the top 10 podcast. He'll be back. Um, I'm sure in early spring. So uh, everyone stay tuned for that. Thanks to listening. Thanks again to Daniel for joining and we'll see you next time.